You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Health Hub. I'm your host, Kathy Biasse, and along with our producer, Alex Diaz, we'd like to welcome you to our show this morning. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Kathy, and once again, good morning to our listeners. Good to be back live in the studio. You were, were you away last week on holidays? I was on uh, a stay vacation, as they say, yeah, or staycation. A staycation. It yeah, was beautiful nice, weather. Nice and re- relaxing, for sure. I, I did manage to catch a couple of, of Jay's games, okay. either on TV or in person, and I did end up celebrating a birthday, and not mine, but uh, a friend of mine. And I also ended up baking a cake My the first goodness. time, so that was exciting. Look at you. That's a nice thing to do. I was supposed to take off last week and go up north, but um, we opened our new clinic last week, which was very exciting. So really happy about that. We have a beautiful space now. It got delayed a touch, so it uh, it changed a bit of my holiday plan, but opened the clinic last week, and we're very excited to be there and welcoming cancer patients. It's uh, it's a lovely setting out in the country. So it was exciting for me last week, and uh, but good to be back in the studio. Always it, it good is, to be it, live. It's always, always good. Oh, it's good to be live. It is good to be live. And you can call us today at 416-245-1534, or you can hit us up on our social media sites at the Health Hub RMC, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And feel feel uh, very, uh, what I'm trying to say here, Alex, I've been away for a week and can't talk. <laughs> Email us, if you'd yes. like, at thh at radiomaria.ca if you have any questions. We have had a gazillion questions come in for today's show, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, I hope you enjoyed last week's show. We will have it up for you uh, this week, actually. We'll have it up on um, iTunes and all your favorite podcast sites. And please do subscribe. We've had amazing guests on our show, lots and lots of information. So you can uh, check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, on radiomaria.ca, and on kathybiasse.com, basically any of your uh, platforms that you like to hear podcasts on. But last week's show uh, was on mitochondria, mitochondrial function, and mitochondrial health with Dr. Lee No. He wrote a book called Mitochondria and the Future of Medicine. And we had, uh, thank you to those who took the time to actually uh, leave leave a comment or two. We had some good response to that. Uh, one of my favorites was, oh, I, I'd never even heard of mitochondria before. Glad, glad I tuned in. So it was a great show. Mitochondria, mitochondrial function. It is, this is a... Uh, trending stuff in the health world. So, you know, stick with the health that we try and bring you things that uh, you may not be too privy to in your everyday life, but that was a great show. So do take the time to listen to it. 
Our topic today is adrenal health, and we have a superstar in that field, Dr. Carrie Jones. And I want to to cut our intro a little bit shorter today because we have had so many questions on such a wide variety of topics. So obviously, this is an important subject for you guys. So I don't want to take up too much of the time because I really do want to get to the topic at hand. But when we're talking about adrenals, we will most certainly broach the topic of hormones. So I want to give you a bit of a footing on this before we get uh, get to our guest uh, today. Hormones are produced by the glands of the endocrine system. So these glands include the pineal gland, the pituitary gland, the pancreas, ovaries, testes, thyroid, parathyroid, hypothalamus, and the adrenal glands. Hormones are chemical messengers, and they travel to uh, throughout our circulatory systems targeting their uh, their sites where they have receptors for each of the different types of hormones. And they control most of our major bodily functions, including growth, sexual development, mood, and metabolism. So I wanted to sort of lay the groundwork for that. We've had a lot of questions, as I said. One interesting sort of, of trend that's come from the this this topic is confusion that people have been running into when they are dealing with the medical profession versus the integrative aspect of adrenal health. So it it is something that uh, we will talk to Dr. Jones about uh, when we, when we meet her after the break, but it's, I found that very interesting because uh, it's, well, Dr. Jones, I won't even I won't even step on this topic. She'll have far more to say about it, but it was an interesting theme that did start coming out of the questions. So, Without further ado, Dr. Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she also completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. Later, she graduated from Grand Canyon University's Master of Public Health program with the goal of doing more international education. She was adjunct faculty for many years at uh, National University of Natural Medicine, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology and fertility, and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is the medical director for Precision Analytical Inc., creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. Our learning points today are, what is the function of our adrenal glands? Is adrenal fatigue real? And what is the HPA axis? That and a whole bunch more we will get to after our break.
Welcome back, everybody. Our show today is live. You can call in at 416-245-1534. If you have any questions for Carrie, who is Dr. Jones, uh, myself or Alex, and uh, we will get to them as soon as we can. Good morning, Carrie. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. How are both of you? We're doing very well. I've got, um, I'm going to be really uh, pulling on my, my creative genius to try and get to all these questions. We've got questions, you know, from the left and the right of adrenal fatigue. So I, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to call on you to sort of do a great big overview of everything. So hopefully we can tell we've got from DHEA to uh, adrenal fatigue, cortisol. So we're, we're really going to get down and dirty when it comes to the adrenals. But before we get into that, what, what made you interested in this area? Um, well, I've always been interested in women's health and hormones and because the adrenal glands are a big part of the endocrine system and I feel that so many people in our world walk around and say, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I'm busy, I have adrenal fatigue. Um, I got really into it. I got really into the research and trying to peel back the layers and see what's going on. It's it's a it, when I when I started uh, doing my nutrition school, I had never even heard of adrenal fatigue. I had never heard of the adrenals. Let's call it spade a spade. I didn't even know what the <laughs> adrenals were. So it's it's a very fascinating topic. Now let's let's start at the top, work our way down, um, and I'm going to intertwine a bunch of questions as we go through. But let's start off with what are the adrenals and where are they? And where are they? <laughs> so there you have two of them. That's why there's an S on the end. So the adrenal glands. There's these two small glands, and they actually sit on top of your kidney. So if you think like low back Mm -hmm. on either side by your kidney, that's where they are. And what they do is that they help manage things like your immune system. They manage inflammation. They manage your blood sugar. They manage things like um, getting your rear end out of bed in the morning (laughs) and helping you sleep at night. 
So they really do a multitude of functions. And they are divided into the outer and inner cortex, is that correct? Um, Yes, correct. And they make a number of hormones. Um, Everyone's familiar with cortisol. uh, And you mentioned DHEA, which is from a different layer. So we have a layer that makes cortisol. You have a layer that makes DHEA and some other, um, they're called androgens. They're sort of your male hormones, testosterone. There's one that starts with an A, androstenedione. You have a layer that makes um, norepinephrine, which is noradrenaline, and then adrenaline. And so they do make quite a bit of hormones out of those two tiny little glands. Now, do they rule the roost when it comes to the adrenal system, when it comes to the endocrine system? You know, it depends. Um, I, I say it's like best friends with things like the thyroid mm-hmm. and in women with the ovaries and men with the testicles. I mean, they're, they're in constant communication through the brain of what's going on. So they're constantly texting each other. Like, are you inflamed? Because <laughs> I'm inflamed. Are you tired? How's your blood? You know, what's the blood sugar doing? Well, we would def- we defer there? to the thyroid, don't we, when we're tired? A lot of people, that's just the natural thing to do is to defer to the thyroid. Right. Right. When really it might actually be the adrenal glands or it could be both. You might have an adrenal, you know, the thyroid may have said, you know, I'm done. I'm over this. Mm-hmm. And the adrenals have to pick up the slack for a while. And then they're they, they get down-regulated as well from the brain. Well, what's why do people have, you know, this is a topic, as I said, that we've had a lot of interest, probably the most interest uh, to date with people um, putting in their questions. But why is there such confusion for people? You know, they go to the doctor and, you know, they're tired and the adrenals really aren't brought into the picture at all. And then they go to an integrative health practitioner. And, you know, that's one of the first thing that's queued up on. Why is there this huge (laughs) discrepancy between the two ideologies? When I talk to conventional doctors, they tell me that in medical school, they're not taught very much about the adrenal gland or the entire adrenal system, unless it's an extreme. So if it's Addison's disease, which is an autoimmune um, condition where you can't make cortisol, or the opposite is called Cushing's. You, you can have Cushing's disease or Cushing's syndrome, um, two different reasons. And they're, they're like, there's nothing in between. There's, there's, if you're tired and you're not producing very much cortisol or DHEA, they're like, we don't know what to do. We don't have a drug for that. So, so how did the, it, how did the integrative the health field you know, hone in on this? I think it's just putting together the entire endocrine system, working as a unit, as a, as a big spider web, and realizing you don't have to have full-blown disease, Addison's or Cushing's, to have a real problem with your cortisol or your DHEA or your adrenaline. Okay, now we've talked about cortisol a lot in the last couple of minutes we've been speaking. So let's hit on cortisol, maybe DHEA to cortisol. And we'll do, before we get into things like the HPA axis, maybe we'll do just a rudimentary pathway so that people sort of have that picture in their head. So when we start talking Mm -hmm. about a little bit more complicated things, we've sort of laid a groundwork. Yeah, absolutely. So I tell people, so you you know, you mentioned the HPA axis. So that's actually the easiest place to start. So HPA stands for hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal access. And that's how it starts. That's the pathway. So any stress you get, whether it's your kids, your job, <laughs> you, uh, you have the flu, you know, you, um, somebody sprayed their garden and you breathed in, you know, you know, the chemical spray, any stressor that happens inside or outside the body has to go through the brain, has to go through the help, hypothalamus. And then the hypothalamus goes, wow, I don't like this. And it tells the pituitary, which is also in your brain, Hey, tell the adrenals to make cortisol or 
one of the other hormones. And then the pituitary goes, all right, and it tells the adrenal glands to make cortisol or whatever hormone it's supposed to make, and then the adrenals do so. So it all starts with the brain and moves down to the adrenals. So this can be a physical stress. This can be a perception. It encompasses Mm -hmm. all aspects of stress. And what people don't realize is that the stress, your brain and your adrenal system reacts the same way if your stress is real. Of course, if there's a tiger in the room, you're going to freak out. Mm -hmm. Um, It it reacts the same way if it's anticipated. So people who um, have an, they know their day is going to be stressful. They know what's coming up is going to be stressful. They know the holidays are stressful um, or it's imagined. So if you're a type of person who's a worrier or you make mountains out of molehills, your brain doesn't know the difference. Your brain's like, well, that seems like a tiger to me. And it will tell the adrenals to make a whole bunch of hormone. Now, was this HPA access a, a feedback loop, a negative feedback loop? Is there a stop button? There is for cortisol. Yes, there is for cortisol. And so what can happen is over time, if the feedback loop breaks down, then you can have a real cortisol problem. So can we have a breakdown at any step along this pathway or is there oh, a... Oh, absolutely. There is. So yes. this is not an easy topic to, to tackle <laughs> at <laughs> it's, all. And it's hard to pinpoint because you don't know is, is, you know, is the line cut between the two parts of the brain, if, for lack of a better analogy, is it, is the, is the line cut between the brain and the adrenals? Is the feedback loop broken or is it all of the above? So uh, maybe that's why people are having a little bit of a problem trying to understand this whole issue, because, you know, yes. we hear the term adrenal fatigue all of the time. Um, when I have uh, people coming into the clinic, you know, that's what I think people have honed in on this on this term. And, you know, I think mm-hmm. I have adrenal fatigue. And I, you know, there are, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that there are many levels of where the adrenals are functioning. Um, Now, you are not fond of that term adrenal fatigue. Maybe you can explain (laughs) that to us. Yes. And that's very controversial. So I 100% believe in the symptoms. People are very tired. They're sick. They're worn out. um, They're very stressed. Absolutely. I believe them. But it actually, just like I was saying, it starts higher up in the brain. And so adrenal fatigue gives people the picture that their adrenal glands are self-functioning, that they've made the decision, I don't want to do this anymore and stop making cortisol, when in fact it's a whole system. So adrenal fatigue is a sexy term, and it's easy to say, and so I understand why it caught on. But it's, I think when people are new to this and they think, oh, it's, my, it's these little glands on my kidney, that's the problem. And I'm like, well, actually, it could be in your brain. We mm-hmm. might have to do a lot of brain support to get that communication going again. So looking farther upstream. You got it. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start to interweave these questions as they come in. Um, <laughs> yes. Levels of adrenal, okay, the question was levels of adrenal fatigue, but I get, okay, I'm going to sort of meld a couple of them. Is adrenal, so what do you want to term this? Not adrenal fatigue, adrenal... Well, I usually call it like, but it's not a sexy term. I call it HPA axis dysfunction or HPA axis fatigue or something like that to encompass the whole... The whole system. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when this system breaks down, is it dangerous for our health or is that in increments as well? It is in increments and it's not... So 
so much dangerous, like people, you know, oh my gosh, my risk for cancer skyrockets. It's not like that, but it can definitely affect things like autoimmune disease. And it can affect things like the ability to deal with your blood sugar. So you might be at an increased risk for diabetes, which is not good. It can affect things like your ability to handle inflammation. Um, if you get hurt, if you eat something you shouldn't, if you have inflammation in your gut, in your joints, in your muscles, in your brain, um, because it's, cortisol helps with that response. And if you don't have an appropriate cortisol release, then you might find yourself not able to balance your blood sugar or not able to deal with the inflammation in your joints or not able to deal with the inflammation in your gut. And that can be a real problem. There's certain things that are always, you know, common terms. Cortisol is one that's 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 bantered around a lot. Uh, one of my favorites is, you know, the the look upon estrogen. Um, our bodies produce these things. They are they have value. Our body really doesn't mm-hmm. produce anything that's like completely negative for us. Um, estrogen is one of my favorite ones because people, um, especially those who have uh, breast cancer, uh, women are afraid of estrogen. A lot of women are mm-hmm. afraid of estrogen and. Estrogen has many positive effects on the body, as does cortisol. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we, we tend to think of that as a negative hormone. Can you go over what cortisol, the function of cortisol is, and, and enlighten us to how valuable it is in our system? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the primary, primary things that cortisol does is help with blood sugar release. So if you skip a meal or if you're traveling and you can't eat, or you're having like blood sugar irregularity, your brain senses this and says, Ooh, we need to put more glucose out into your system to handle this. And it does so via the adrenal glands. And so you can safely skip a meal or, you know, prolong your lunch or what have you. Um, and there's enough glucose in your system to feed your muscles and feed your brain, which is very important. But if you have HPA issues, then you're going to usually have your regular blood sugar. You will get hangry mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're hungry and angry. You may find that your blood sugar fluctuates a lot. Sometimes it's too high. You go to the doctor. Sometimes it's too low. You get, you know, tired and hungry and irritable and headachy. And so I tell people, if you, you're never going to fix your HPA axis, your adrenal glands, if you don't address your blood sugar and vice versa. Blood sugar the other thing cortisol lot. does is it's, What'd you say? Blood sugar comes up a lot. It comes up a lot, and it's so prevalent. I mean, I don't think people realize um, when they skip meals or when they do eat lots of sugar, when they do um, their coffee drink and they have whipped cream and they have syrup and they have all these you know, other stuff blended in there, um, what it does to the blood sugar and then what it does to the brain, to the adrenal glands, really to all glands, but mm-hmm. the adrenals in particular are the, the ones that have to mount a response. They have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one is inflammation and autoimmune. Um, people don't realize that when you have a, uh, inflammation, let's say you get the you get the flu, and you in the flu virus, and you have to you know fight against the the flu virus. Cortisol is quite helpful. It's anti-inflammatory to a point to help reduce fever, reduce pain, deal with the virus. But if you have prolonged inflammation, let's pretend somebody is eating wheat or gluten or dairy and they shouldn't. They, maybe they know they shouldn't and they don't care and they eat it every day. Now you have chronic inflammation in your gut, your, you know, your stomach's unhappy, your intestines are unhappy, and now your adrenal glands are having to put out cortisol, put out cortisol, put out cortisol. 
And now you have this chronic, maybe high cortisol picture trying to deal with the inflammation, but cortisol can then be damaging. It can make you gain weight. It can break down muscle if it's too high for too long. So it's, it's like um, Goldilocks and three bears, right? Like it's, it can be just, just enough, mm-hmm. <laughs> not too much, not too little, just enough to help you combat inflammation. Um, but also autoimmune. People don't realize that um, when your cortisol spikes up in the morning, your cortisol follows the sun. So it goes way up high in the morning and then it falls down to a very low level at night. Like, and when the moon comes out, it's very uh, light driven. And so um, when you get that spike in the morning, when the sun comes up and your cortisol goes up, that helps your body fight against autoimmune disease. And if you don't get that spike in the morning, then you have an increased risk for autoimmune or an increased risk for worsening your autoimmune if you already have autoimmune. And Interesting. So people, yeah, people think, oh, cortisol, it's only for energy. And I'm like, it is. It absolutely helps get your butt out of bed. Yeah. It's like the sun. But so much more. But it does so much else. Mm-hmm. So you're flirting with the topic of circadian rhythms, and yes. our <laughs> listeners will, will be a little bit abreast of that because we've had a, a show on that. But we're going to go to break. We are going to come back. We're going to talk about circadian rhythm. We're going to talk about adrenal testing, and we are going to talk more about cortisol because that is a lot of the questions that are coming at us. So we'll be back in a few <laughs> minutes.
closer I come to life when you pull me closer I come to life Hub here on Radio Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We are live with Dr. Carrie Jones, and I'm going to jump into some questions here from our listeners. So we're going to start off again, uh, Carrie, a lot to do with cortisol, cortisol and fat, you know, the, those topics that um, a lot of people are starting to, to hone in on. But first question is, um, the ideal cortisol range was different from what my GP explained to me versus what my naturopath discussed. So I'm unclear as to whose advice to follow. What is the ideal <laughs> level for a 45-year-old female? Right. So actually, what what this is what why it's so confusing. When you get your blood drawn and you get it drawn in the morning, the range is, well, I only know American ranges, but the range is usually something like 15 or let's say like 10 to 40. Mm-hmm. And so as long as you fall in between 10 to 40, you're normal. Except that range is the range for a cortisol drawn any time of the day. When really in the morning, you should be a lot higher and if you had a doctor's appointment in the afternoon or closer to dinner, it should be a lot lower. And so I will sometimes find people get their blood drawn in the morning and they have their levels 15 and their doctor says, oh, you're fine. Like, well, no, you should actually be closer to 40 in the morning. And so the naturopathic doctor who is understanding the circadian rhythm will say that it's a reverse range. You want to be higher in the morning, lower later in the day. Okay, so getting to, then we'll touch upon the testing. I'm actually holding my own test here that I had done about a year and a half ago. This little puppy (laughs) is full of information, let me tell you. And I only had a few capital letters, so I'm kind of proud about that. But what, what does a healthy cortisol cycle then look like? And when you're testing, is it just one test? Is it a urine test? Is it a urine test done, you know, two or three times? What is, how does that all play into a proper reading? So I am a huge fan with adrenal testing of circadian rhythm testing, meaning you test multiple times in the day. Usually it's four, sometimes five. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you know, have trouble with sleep. And the reason for that is if you just do cortisol one time, if you just get your blood drawn at the doctor's office, that's your cortisol right there. And it doesn't tell me anything other than your cortisol right there in that very moment. So I want to know 
is your cortisol high in the morning? Do you spike up normally like you're supposed to? Or maybe you don't and that's a problem. Or maybe you spike up too high and that's why you wake up with anxiety or panic or stress. And then you should fall gradually through the day. So right before bed, it should be nice and low. And I want you to test then because I want to see is your sleep problem because of your cortisol? Um, and and is, it, is it low enough? Because like I said, cortisol is like the sun. And then its opposite hormone is melatonin, which is like the moon. And so when I do testing, I do urine testing. And I, but it's, it's, um, it's not like a big jug. It's, it's, it's a dried urine test. Mm-hmm. And so people will just urinate on a piece of paper, a little piece of filter paper, four or five times during the day. Because I want to see what the whole rhythm is. What do you look like? Now, what is the difference between a urine test and a blood test, other than the obvious? Is one better? <laughs> uh, I don't want that question answered, but is right. one better than right. the other and it's just more invasive? Or is there two um, the metabolites? One, I would being? say one, yes. So one is the urine test I find is better. One, it's easier to collect um, because if you're collecting four or five times, most people don't have the time um, or the energy or the money to go into a lab four or five times in the day to get their blood drawn. And beca- because those of you who are afraid of getting your blood drawn, um, that will spike your cortisol, right? It's a fear response. You don't like needles, you react to needles, and now your cortisol and your adrenaline go way up. You don't like needles. But if you just do urine throughout the day, it's, it's not invasive, and most people don't have a problem and don't get scared <laughs> to mm-hmm. urinate on a piece of paper. But with urine, you also get other markers too. You get cortisol's deactivated brother called cortisone. Um, we can test melatonin. We can get free cortisol and total cortisol, so we can decide, like, how much are you making and then how much is allowed to be free, and then we get the patterns. You just get a lot more information in, in the urine test than you get in a blood test. Oh, you sure do. Without the I fear. think my, my uh, one of nine pages is that, so one of nine yeah. pages. <laughs> Um, it's quite, it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting reading to be, to be perfectly frank. Okay. So you touched on something. And one of the questions that, that is, uh, that we were asked is what is the difference between cortisol and cortisone? Yeah. So cortisone is inactive. So the adrenal glands make cortisol and then different parts of your body, uh, different other tissues can decide to keep it as cortisol, which is active and does the things and binds to receptors. Or if it's too much cortisol in that area causing damage, or problems or issues, then the body can turn it off. And when it turns it off, it turns it into cortisone. And cortisone's kind of dead in the water. It just it doesn't do anything. And, so, and then it can go back and forth. And so if you need cortisol again, if you're in a stressful situation, and um, your body can then whoop, reactivate it back into cortisol. So it does go back and forth, uh, depending on the tissue, on the area, and you know the time of day or what's going on for you. Can other organs convert cortisone to cortisol? Yes, and unfortunately, you had mentioned fat tissue earlier, cortisol and fat tissue. Fat tissue is a big one that um, there's a little enzyme in your body that will convert cortisone into cortisol, and fat tissue does it really too well. <laughs> it, it amplifies it. And so when you're in a, and people can, can relate, they're like, I've had a lot of stress lately, and I'm stress eating, and I've got this spare tire around my, on my belly that I can't get to go away from all this stress. And, and like, yeah, what's happening is your fat tissue is, is activating your cortisone into cortisol right there in your fat tissue. And it's not, it's not helpful. Is this because the adrenals are being overburdened to do that? So it's relying on something, you know, another area of your body? Yes and no. So we have definitely seen um, on labs that the 
the adrenal glands are perfectly capable of producing normal levels of cortisol. Like, no, that's not a problem. It's just the fat tissue upregulates this enzyme better, faster, stronger than other areas, and it gets amplified. It's like those scary movies when they're calling from right within the house, you know, on the cell phone. They're like, mm-hmm. I'm in your house calling you. It's the same thing. And in the fat tissue, that enzyme calls from right in the fat tissue and cortisone converts to cortisol. It's a very bad mechanism. I've, I've kind of not quite yet figured out the silver lining, the good part of it, mm-hmm. because we don't need all that extra fat tissue around our organs and in our belly. It's, it's not helpful and it's not productive, but um, it, it happens. Okay, so we want to try to deactivate that. What if a person is overweight as as a being? As a uh, yeah. So what I'm trying to get at is, will your body create fat for this mechanism, or is it existing fat that just kicks this into high gear? Or a it bit can of both? be both. Okay, it can be both. And cortisol. You mentioned hormones at the beginning. Um, cortisol will also increase another enzyme called aromatase and aromatase increases estrogen conversion and fat tissue. Mm-hmm. So if you have high cortisol and high estrogen, you will have even more fat growth in places you don't want it. Right. You get this double whammy. So the double stress, whammy effect. Yep. You'll get your fat will, you know, get bigger. And if you have stress and high cortisol, you'll have more estrogen and it'll just keep growing. Okay, so then what is the, you know, on my, my chart here that I'm looking at, my cortisol is, is sort of a flat line. What is the danger or what is it indicating to me when my cortisol is below normal? Yeah, so a flat line in particular, um, when you're looking at your graph. No, don't scare me now. <laughs> okay, well, circadian <laughs> rhythm. So the first thing I tell people is, again, you need that spike to help prevent um, or reduce autoimmune. Okay. Um, and so the spike is quite helpful when, when you, when your, when your body makes, um, immune cells, some of them accidentally are already autoimmune. And so in, in your body, in your thymus gland, you get a, you get a check that, so your body goes through each of your cells and is like, are you autoimmune? Are you autoimmune? And the ones that are accidentally already autoimmune get pulled to the side, like naughty children. And then the spike in cortisol is what kills them off. So they can't recirculate. But if you don't get that spike, then those naughty autoimmune cells sneak out and circulate around. Now, the other big thing with a flat cortisol um, line is it does have an increased risk for um, a reoccurrence of cancer. So they've done research on like breast cancer and prostate cancer, and they have found that those who have gone through treatment but have a flat cortisol line, they don't get the spike in the morning, um, their, their chance of reoccurrence goes way up. And so with cancer patients, um, our, like oncologists who run um, cortisol testing or a con- a cancer specialists, I often explain to them, you want that spike because you're trying to reduce the risk of reoccurrence. Well, that touches close to home because I'm a breast cancer right. survivor. So that's very interesting to note. Now, this was done... I guess I should get it redone, actually, for my own personal. That was done a year and a half ago. Now, what can we, uh, that'll play into another question. How do we improve our adrenal health? Are there supplements? <laughs> what do we do? Yeah, what do we do? <laughs> what do we do? Yes. Okay, so I tell people the two most basic things, and it sounds simple and stupid, and everybody rolls their eyes at me. First things first, in the morning, when you wake up, when your eyes wake up, the first thing you should do is get bright light exposure into your eyes. 
So either if you're in a sunny place or the sun is out, open your curtains, look outside. Obviously, don't burn your eyeballs, but maybe go outside for five or ten minutes and get that exposure. If you are not in a sunny place or it's raining, then consider buying full-spectrum light bulbs. They have them at hardware stores or on Amazon. (laughs) They're they're very cheap. They're very easy to find. So full-spectrum light bulbs, you can buy them already in... um, like we call them light boxes, so a full-spectrum light box, and they're small, and they sit on your desk or your counter, and turn it on. And that, that bright light exposure goes into your eyes, and it registers with your brain, the sun is up, make cortisol, turn off melatonin. Because what we're trying to do is get you up in the morning. The opposite is get the lights off at night before bed. Get off your phone, get off your computer, get off your tablet. Don't have your bright light, all your bright lights on in your house. Um, because all those bright lights mimic the sun and that in the, from your phone and your tablet is, is blue light. And so the brain goes, oh, well, the sun's still out, so I'm not going to stop making cortisol. And then people have problems with sleep. Basically, we're trying to get you up in the morning and down at night to reset your circadian rhythm. Okay. But there are definitely supplements and herbs that are helpful. For example, Um, B vitamins, in particular, vitamin B5, which is pantothenic acid, and vitamin C are very, very helpful for the adrenal glands. And humans don't make their own vitamin C. I don't know why. We lost out on that, but a lot of animals can make their own. Like, I read this article about mountain goats. I don't know why they tested mountain goats, but mountain goats, when they get in a stressful situation, their vitamin C production goes up exponentially and then when the, their stressor is over, like they handle it fine. Then they go back to normal and climbing mountains and eating grass. And I thought, well, why don't humans get that? Mm-hmm. Vitamin C doesn't get so the not- credit that it deserves, I find. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, you've just pulled out uh, another question that was, I understand the adrenal glands don't shut down when we age, but I'm sure they slow down. What we increase our vitamin C and B5 then, and then what other steps can we take to maintain optimum adrenal health? Yeah, so adding in, you know, B vitamins and vitamin C can be very, very helpful. Like I said, getting your circadian rhythm, get light in the morning and dark at night. Um, But there are some really great herbs that are available. We call them adaptogens, which are herbs that are relatively, you know, safe, but still talk with your healthcare practitioner. Mm -hmm. And they help you adapt. They basically help you adapt to stress because our world is quite stressful at the moment. And so I'm sure people have heard of herbs. There's an Indian herb called ashwagandha. There's another herb called rhodiola. There's a Bulgarian herb called maca, M-A-C-A, maca. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be really helpful. Some of the ginseng, some, you know, some of the Asian herbs, ginseng, um, they, they're, they're very potent, but they're very helpful for adrenal health. Now, do you suggest that these are taken uh, when there's an issue, or do you have a protocol that, like, for instance, you would take on a daily basis to support your adrenals? Um, actually, I like I personally, I'm a little bit probably like you. I'm being when you have all the education, the education and the knowledge, like I sort of know what to do on a daily basis. So if it's not a particularly stressful day or it's an easy weekend, I may forget or not even take my supplements. But mm-hmm. if I know I'm about to go do something, I have to give a big lecture. I have to I have to handle something really stressful and I'll usually take my adrenal supplements, I'll take, make sure I take extra B vitamins, extra vitamin C. Um, when I travel, you know, I'll take all that stuff so I cannot get sick and I can handle the stress. So I do take it more 
as a sort of needed basis versus an ongoing basis. However, I have lots of patients who need it on an ongoing basis because they have had no support for so long and they come in exhausted and they come in sick and they come in with all these symptoms. And I'm like, okay, we need to get you on some very solid supplements for a couple months, get your footing back and then, and then go from there. Okay. Uh, somebody just texted in, where can I get the uh, testing done? Can I get it through my doctor? Um, you can do the blood testing through your doctor. Uh, the, the company that I work for is Dutch Test, so you can order it online, um, and you definitely can do it in Canada. Mm-hmm. And I so it's know. just DutchTest.com. Interesting enough. So anybody who's working with a naturopath, can you order it yourself, or does it have to come through a naturopath? You can order it yourself. We highly recommend that you go through uh, any practitioner, any healthcare practitioner can um, run it. And so uh, it doesn't have to be a naturopath, but we have a number of naturopathic doctors that do run the test. And the reason we suggest you work with somebody is just like you said, it's nine pages of information. Mm-hmm. It is. And if you're new to this, if you're like, yes, I have all those symptoms, I need help. You need somebody to guide you and walk you through it. Like you, oh, like definitely. <laughs> no, d- uh, you know what? There's a lot of Go stuff. That I'm, I'm, yeah. There's a not, lot of stuff that uh, is is new to me. You know, and there's this wonderful. I'm just flipping through it. This lovely hormone chart, the steroid pathway chart. Actually, it's very interesting. I actually refer to it quite often. But um, yeah, it's it's well worth it. And then how how often would you retest? So you come, you get your your issues presented to you, and then how mm-hmm. often would you retest? Depends on the person. So if you're feeling really good, if you're getting, you know, treatment, you're getting your circadian rhythm fixed, you're working on your diet, you're getting the blood sugar under control, and you're at the like three or four month mark and you're thinking, no, I'm on the right path, I'm feeling great, then I generally don't suggest retesting until the six month mark. And and this is initially. And if you hit the three or four month mark and you think, yeah, I feel better in some ways, but not, you know, some ways aren't better at all, mm-hmm. then I suggest retesting it at three, three, four month mark. After that, once you're dialed in and you know, you know what your triggers are, you know, you know what you're doing to yourself, you know, when you don't sleep and you eat bad foods and it's stressful, you know, you, you put yourself right yourself again, then you can do yearly. Yeah. It's really um, but initially, it's usually more testing. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. You know, the methylation pathway is, is uh, pointed out and yeah, a very interesting test to do. Um, another question that's come in. What is the cortisone cream that I'm putting on my hands? I think it is eczema. Um, is the cortisone cream the same cortisone that my body is producing? No, it's a marketing naming thing. Hydrocortisone cream is cortisol. So cortisone that is hydrolyzed becomes cortisol. And so hydrocortisone is really cortisol. So when you're putting cream, hydrocortisone cream on your hands or on your body or if you get you know, poison ivy, you have eczema, you have a rash, what you're putting on your skin is cortisol. But it's external cortisol, it's outside cortisol. So the higher your dose and the longer you do it affects the feedback loop and it will tell your brain, I have a lot of cortisol, stop making cortisol. So the brain will shut down the adrenal glands because of that outside cortisol. So if you're using cream every day, just like if you're using a steroid inhaler every day, that's a, that's a cortisol-based inhaler, a cortisol-based nasal spray for allergies. Um, it will tell the brain, I have plenty of cortisol, stop making it, and your own cortisol production will stop. So you have to be careful. Asthma medication, that's an interesting one. I'm sure many yeah, people... Yeah, people forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and wh- yep. what happens in that, in that situation? 
same. If it's a, if it's a cortisol based or we call it a steroid based, uh, asthma medication, then, um, you'll get that, that, um, shut down of cortisol. Now it has to be steroid. I'm not talking like some people take, there's a medication called Singular or, um, uh, Monolucast, which is, a, a like more of like an anti allergy, if you will. Um, that will not, but if you're doing an inhaler, that that's steroid based, or if you're taking a steroid, if you're taking, like if you're having an asthmatic attack and you have to take prednisone or get a steroid injection, again, it's, it's outside cortisol, but it's still cortisol and the body has a feedback loop and it will shut down your own internal cortisol for that. And that's, I mean, there are many people that were relying on this medication. What do they do? Right. Well, and unfortunately it's really hard to come to counter a steroid medication. And so if they're on it just for short term, for example, if the person who wrote that question in, um, maybe they were gardening this weekend, got, you know, it upset their hands. They put some steroid cream on um, just for a couple days to get under control. And then they stopped. They, the short, the short term is generally fine. The body can rebound. It's the people who are doing it every day. They've been doing it for years. That's when it's a real problem because it can, it took years to shut it down if they choose to go off of it, do not ever abruptly just stop it. You have to work with your doctor to wean yourself off, and it can take years to come back, your own internal production. So we have to work really hard with um, testing, with circadian rhythm, with herbs, with nutrients to try to get that rhythm back again. That's a very interesting point because a lot of people are told not to stop their medication, to finish their medication. Um, my husband, in fact, was on prednisone years ago for colitis, and mm-hmm. he stopped it. Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't see any, any, anything issue with him at the time. This was many years ago, just after we got married. But what, there's a danger there. You, you can't just there stop. Is, you, can cr- you can crash, yeah, because if, if you are on a medication, if you're on a steroid medication, a cortisol medication, and it has shut down your own production, so you, you're using it as a medication, but you don't have any internally, and then you stop suddenly, then you have no cortisol because you're not taking it externally anymore and the internal production was shut down. And so now you're going to miss out on all this cortisol. So people usually feel really super tired. They may get really sick. They may have a lot of blood sugar issues um, because they're missing out on that cortisol piece. I just wish that now, it depends links- on the dose, right? If you're on just a low dose, if you're on, you know, five milligrams for a couple of days, probably not going to do anything. Even five milligrams for, you know, one or two weeks because of something. Um, if you're on a cortisol, you know, the hydrocortisone cream, you're like, oh, I got poison ivy. I had to use it for a week. Probably not a big deal. But it's, you know, it's, if a, somebody says, well, I have really severe asthma. I need really heavy steroid inhalers. I do them every day, twice a day. Otherwise, I can't breathe. Yeah, I mean, that's a life or death situation. Right. <laughs> like that's that's that you have to be on a potent dose. It just is what it is. Interesting. And I wish, you know, I truly wish that these things are pointed out to people and, you know, not not just with regards to only the adrenals, but just these links. And, you know, when you're on medication, they can affect other aspects. And if people were abreast of what the side effects can be, they can arm Mm -hmm. themselves and, and, you know, and try and counteract. That's a big beef of mine. I really wish I really wish things were made known with these medications, but that's a whole other topic. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of our show. Do you have, you know, if for someone who's new to this and someone who's just, you know, learning about adrenals, what would your, your learning tips be or first steps into trying to take care of their adrenal health? Do you have something that you could leave us with? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the first thing I always say is test, don't guess. So if you're recognizing a lot of the symptoms that, you know, you and I are talking about as you're listening to this, you know, get testing because what happens is people will say, oh, I went to the grocery store and I saw this cortisol supplement and I took it and it did nothing. And I'm like, well, it's just a generic supplement. You know, we don't know what you're doing. We don't know if, if your rhythm is off. We don't know if your production is off. We don't, we don't know if you make too much cortisone or cortisol. It's very individualized. And then the second thing I tell people is if you're recognizing yourself in this, in this um, radio show, if you're recognizing a lot of these symptoms, then, you know, it's up to you to take care of you. Mm-hmm. So it's up to you to think, okay, I need to choose to eat healthy. And okay, I need to, I know dairy gives me whatever, upset stomach, makes me tired, breaks out my skin. I probably shouldn't eat it ever because the inflammation is affecting my cortisol and everything else. I mean, it's up to you to go to bed on time. It's up to you to um, say no to things that don't serve you. Take care of your own health. Work on stress response. Yeah, exactly. It's your health. It's your health. Take care of it. Before we go, I just had one quick question text into me. Our dog is on an inhaler. Does that affect their adrenals the same way? Do you have any? It it does. does. It can. It can affect animals as well. Okay. All right. Good to know. Um, I hope our listener got that answer. It was just texted in. So, okay. Again, a whole other topic. I think we're going to have a topic on animal health because that comes up quite a bit. Anyways, thank you so much for joining us. Very, very informative. Um, I guess I'm going to have to retest myself. So (laughs) there's something that's come out of the show. Uh, We can reach you at Instagram at Jones on Twitter at Test. And your website, do you have a website for your personal account or we just reach you I through? I go through Dutch, so dutchtest.com. Perfect, perfect. Yep. Go, go on to that site and go, go do uh, Google uh, Dr. Jones. A lot of great stuff that she's covered, a lot of issues beyond adrenals. So do, do take a listen. It's very, very informative and will open your eyes to many things. So thank you everyone for joining us and we will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.